Hello and welcome to the 10th podcast from Unraveling Technology. It's me, Joe Tonks, joined as ever by David Johnson. Hello. And our guest today, Mr. John Guest. Hello. Nice to be here. Nice to have you on, John. How's your week going? Yeah, good, thanks. Busy, as always. Of course, yeah. Constantly rushed off our feet here. Never a dull moment. <laughs> so uh, we've, uh, we've tackled Blue Monday. Have you heard of Blue Monday? Yes, it was it was being banded around when when Blue Monday was happening. Um, yeah. So the most, I don't know why, but it's like the Monday where people are the most depressed or something. What's what's the reasoning behind it? Pseudoscience. That's the reason <laughs> behind it. It's basically, uh, I think it's just an excuse for another holiday, really, but a really rubbish one. <laughs> Have you heard of it, John? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I felt surprisingly good actually this Monday. I felt quite refreshed. Yeah, you know, I, d- I don't think it's a real thing. Yeah, I think I'd, it's people just complaining. I didn't feel the need to buy a card or anything for <laughs> it. I didn't feel like I was celebrating it. It's one of those things. It's probably it's probably came over from America or something. Like that. <laughs> right at the start of the show, I need to apologise because and Jess had a go at me about this last week. I got the Twitter handle wrong at the end. Oh, oh no. Joe! Yeah, I said at Unraveling Technology when it's at Unraveling Tech. Stay on brand, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, they probably have figured it out. I think that slightly exceeds the character limit for the name. But anyway, yeah, so just thought I'd get that out of the way. Anyway, today we're going to be looking at the Internet of Things. Can anybody here give me a brief definition of what the Internet of Things is? Looking at you, John. Yes. Did right, you do I, your homework? Sure, I, I did. I did. Oh. I promise I did. Um, well, I, I found a number of different definitions, but the most succinct one I found was connecting any device to the internet or to each other. Yeah, that sounds What do you think about that? <laughs> That's pretty good. I think he did do his homework. Yeah, I think he did. I also think it's a terrible name, by the way, Internet of Things. It yeah. sounds a bit lazy. Yeah. So it's just it's broadly anything that you wouldn't expect to find on the internet normally is just but that somebody's rammed an internet connection onto. Yeah. I read somewhere someone was talking about it as like the next bubble. Like, you know, you had the dot-com bubble. Mm. Everyone getting online, making websites. This is a similar thing where the next thing is, let's get it all connected to the internet. But to no mm. particular end, it's all data-driven. It's yeah. all, you know, how much data can we get? How much, how can we connect everything to everything else? Which, it, it, at the moment, it feels like a bit of a because-we-can kind of thing with quote Jurassic Park yeah yeah so concerned about whether you could didn't stop to think whether you should it makes you wonder if Jurassic Park was just a big allegory for for the internet of things wow. like ahead of its time it's deep well you know what I'm going to go on to uh, uh, just a little note I had here since we're talking about Jurassic Park <laughs> written by Michael is it Michael Crichton is it Crichton Crichton anyone know I'm going to say yes Okay. Sure. Why not? <laughs> we'll go with that. Crichton like a red dwarf, isn't it? It could be. Yeah, okay, we'll go for Crichton then. Sure. Um, he did a book after Jurassic Park, actually it might have been before, I'm not sure, called Prey. I remember because when we were at school, uh, for anyone that doesn't know, by the way, me and David, we were, we've been at the same school since infant school, I think. Yeah. Haven't we? Yeah, uh, we, we had someone in junior school come in to do a talk on nanotechnology or something like that. It might, I don't know, it might have just been a job prospects thing, getting to science, science is cool. 
<laughs> but he gave a brief synopsis and explanation of Prey, which is a story about basically nano machines and artificial intelligence. So human beings are working on this technology, this interconnected, aware technology, and it gets to the point where it becomes sentient and starts like, devouring Earth or something. To <laughs> this that is effect. the grey goo idea, isn't it? Yeah, like self-replicating mm. nano machines that destroy everything to create more of themselves. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting when I heard a fact the other day, which is about internet addresses. So at the moment with internet addresses, we use IPv4, Internet Protocol version 4, which you've probably, you've probably heard IP addresses around. So like 192.168, blah, blah, you know, when you've got things connected on your home network, that's what you get. And we're looking for a more widespread adoption of IPv6, which is split up into, is it, I don't know. They're basically, they're longer addresses. So yeah. there's a finite number of addresses in IPv4 and there's a finite number of addresses in IPv6. You just have like factors of... So many more of them. Lots more. Yeah. So here's a fact about the amount of IP addresses you get in IPv6. The Earth is about 4.5 billion years old. If we have been assigning IPv6 addresses at a rate of 1 billion per second since the Earth was formed, we would have by now used up less than one trillionth of the address space. So we should yeah. be all right. <laughs> should be all right. I don't know. I don't know how demanding these grey goose swarms are. But yeah, just when you're talking about the Internet of Things and everything being enabled, this sort of futuristic idea of not being able to go anywhere without whatever you touch being connected to this wider web a world wide web if you will <laughs> if you will um, yeah then you can see how it's we're definitely heading in that direction yeah. so, I found actually a um, uh, so here's where I, do, where I proved that I did do my homework mm -hmm. I found quite an interesting quote really? I thought maybe I'd share it with, with you guys and our listeners another interesting quote oh, <laughs> yeah. boy. so uh, uh, Nikola Tesla who oh, yeah. we, we've probably all heard of. Of electricity mm -hmm. fame. Yep. Um, in 1926, in an interview, he said this. When wireless is perfectly applied, the whole Earth will be converted into a huge brain, which in fact it is, all the things being particles of a real and rhythmic whole, he went on to say. And the, whole, and the instruments through which we shall be able to do this will be amazingly simple compared with our present telephone. A man will be able to carry one in his vest pocket. I thought it was quite an interesting thing to say from 1926, first to compare kind of a, a connected earth to a huge brain, um, almost like a web that we talk about now, um, and also to mention a telephone that we can carry around in our pockets. Yeah. But certainly in 1926, it's kind of onto something there. Smart guy, Tesla. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't see uh, electric cars coming though, did he? <laughs> Actually, he probably did. To me. <laughs> There's a statue of uh, Nikola Tesla somewhere in in the U.S. I think it might be on one of these, you know, Silicon Valley campuses somewhere. Uh, maybe it's wherever Tesla HQ currently is. I'm not entirely sure, but it gives out a free Wi-Fi signal. When you're near it. <laughs> really? we, we literally tweeted about that this morning, I'm not even kidding. That's probably where I heard it. <laughs> yeah, okay, we might have tweeted about it. Can you remember where it, where it was? Adam? It just says Silicon Valley, I didn't look Silicon Valley. Yeah. Just the so that's pretty good, although yeah. it does sound like a bit of a security nightmare. <laughs> okay. okay, so common examples of Internet of Things then. There's quite a few things that we would classify as Internet of Things that we use day to day. 
any examples jump to mind? So some of the things I was thinking of, kind of there's kind of a couple of levels really, isn't there? Because there's a handful of devices that became internet enabled a while back and then there seems to be like a new wave. So I'm thinking of things like um, TV recorders and things. So you can connect into your skybox from anywhere and tell it to record a TV program. That's that's an Internet of Things device, um, yeah. and mm. yeah, and that's kind of those sort of things have been creeping in over the past few years. Then more recently, we've got things like I think we've mentioned it before, things like the eye kettle, where yeah. you can from your phone, from your bedroom, tell it to boil you boil the kettle so that you can get out of bed and have boiled water to make drinks with. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's quite a few things that use geofencing like that. One that I like, uh, and that I'm, I'm, it's going to be my next purchase. I think is the Philips Hue bulbs, mm-hmm. which uh, you might have seen them. Um, there's lots of cheaper versions around that are like LED bulbs you plug in, and then you can use a little credit-sized card to change the color, change the brightness. It's like that, but cranked up a notch. So you've got a little wireless receiver in your house. I think it's got a range of about 40 meters, and it can communicate with these Philips smart bulbs. And you can have it so, for instance, you can take a, a picture of something and then it, it'll it take that picture and create mood lighting from the picture. Or <laughs> you can get it to sort of, uh, you know, strobe and throb to music. <laughs> or when you go out, it'll turn off. When you come back, it'll turn back mm. on. And that looks great. That's something I've been looking at. It's, um, yeah, they have a community called, I don't know, it's like My Hue or... Where people can swap lighting configurations around <laughs> recipes. The world. Yeah, here's a really good light that you might like, and then you can. But yeah, or, or you can do things like if it's raining, mm. it'll it'll make the light in the hall sort of flash blue or something. So when you're on your way out of the house, you remember to grab your umbrella. Oh, that's pretty clever. Yeah, it integrates with some some pretty good stuff. <laughs> yeah, so I am. Um, I like the idea of the th- uh, smart thermostats. So I know that Nest do one day and they were bought out by Google. Um, and uh, actually over New Year's, um, my in-laws have a cottage in the north of Sweden. And just as we were setting off to drive up there, my, uh, my father-in-law checked on his phone what the temperature was in the cottage and then set it to what he wanted it to be for when we got there. So two hours later, we turned up to kind of minus minus 12, minus 13 C outside. Inside, lovely and toasty, 20 <laughs> degrees C. Yeah. I think that's pretty clever. That is yeah. really good. It's, uh, I mean, you've kind of always had that in a way, you know, putting a putting it on a timer, haven't you? Putting mm. heating on a timer. But yeah, absolutely. Being able to do it through an app at the drop of a button. Yeah, this takes the forward planning out of it, really, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I suppose it does, which is good because I'm terrible at forward planning. <laughs> Our thermostat's not on a timer at home. I just, you know, change it as and when. Wake up cold, get in the house is cold, but in between, brilliant. <laughs> There's an article on a site called The Next Web, which I found, uh, I think it was from yesterday, which was, don't trust the internet of things. The Nest thermostats leak home locations. Oh, well. Yeah. Now, actually, it isn't as bad as it sounds. Because they did do uh, an update on the article saying, actually, what it's leaking is the location of the nearest weather mast. 
So I'm guessing that these Nest mm. thermostats can pay attention to local weather and adjust your thermostat accordingly. Mm. But a few people jumped on it and thought that it was giving out geographic locations of where these houses were or what mm. the addresses were, which isn't that bad. But it annoyed me that they kept the article up. There's like a little <laughs> bit on the top in italics that said, oh, by the way, this is just like uh, weather weather mass it's not really that bad but then the whole article in full after it is saying you know oh this is you know they patched it pretty quickly but it's still pretty bad mm. <laughs> yeah so that's a uh, yeah that's a good one nest i've heard about them mm. very slick looking devices as mm. well the nest ones not to get ahead of ourselves or to continue beating up on nest but i do have a, a particular story of uh recent nest activity oh goody does it does it uh is it something to do with security issues or? um it, no not exactly it was a bug in so they did a software update in december mm. um which apparently this bug took a, a month or so to actually appear but then basically nest thermostats started draining their batteries and then switching themselves off <laughs> so right. um there was a it's a guy, a New York Times reporter called Nick Bilton, I think, who was talking about how he uh, they set the Nest thermostat to 70 degrees Fahrenheit and then were woken up at 4am because their baby was screaming because it was 64 degrees Fahrenheit and the Nest had switched itself off and basically run out of battery. Um, yeah, so and this was apparently affecting quite a few people and there was a... The process was to restart it, but in order to restart it, you have to like charge it for an hour, and it was a big nine-step deal. So yeah, not not great. <laughs> no, that isn't great, and it's scary the amount of the amount of control things they're going to have continuing to go into the future. Yeah, just some other current examples I've got then: um, um, baby monitors, or just webcams for that matter. Uh, just being able to check into your house, see what's going on. Uh, yeah, the thermostat driverless cars. That's yeah. a big internet yeah. things thing, and that's something we've talked about a lot in the past few weeks. We talked about the dangers of that as well. Uh, I think there was an instance where someone managed to hack a driverless car as it was driving down a motorway. No, it was so it wasn't a driverless car that one. It was it was the entertainment system mm. was on the internet. So over the internet, they hacked into the entertainment system and then from the entertainment system, they got into the car's control systems and were able to do things like apply the brake or lock the power steering and things like that, <laughs> which is, that clearly should not happen. Yeah. But Neil seems confident they've ironed all this out and it's not going to be a problem. Yeah, Neil is very happy driving his Tesla. <laughs> With its, with its multitudes of connectivity. Yeah. Speaking of Internet of Things as well, before we started this, Neil says that he's bought some of those Amazon Dash things we discussed last week. You might have heard of those, John. They're mm. these little buttons that Amazon US sell where you can press it and it re reorders a certain thing at the push of a button. So you keep like... one under your sink and you press it when you need new oh, fairy liquid, something like that. That's pretty cool. But the example he was talking about was hacking one. So in the morning you could press it and it could talk to your Tesla, telling it to warm up and then beep when it's reached the right temperature so that then you can go outside, get in the car and off you go. <laughs> Which is, uh, yeah, not bad for $5 or whatever they cost. Right. And then there's the... Uh, there's the famous story. I, I, I did wonder whether this fits into the internet of things. I suppose in a way it might. You know this this whole thing about the girl whose 
dad found out she was pregnant through targeted advertising from Wal- Walmart. No, Target, I think it was. Mm, I remember mm. discussing this with somebody. Yes. Yeah. So there was uh, uh, basically a uh, dad got through. I think it was it an email or it might have been mail. Adam, you might you might remember. But uh, essentially, he intercepted this this bit of advertising from Target. There you go, targeted advertising, Target. Um, saying that basically advertising a load of uh, stuff for pregnant people. So wheelchair and wheelchairs, like baby push chairs and mm. cots. Yeah. Things that people with babies You might like. be interested in this selection of mm. baby-centric items. Yeah. <laughs> and he got quite upset about it, didn't he? He did. He said, oh, what are you doing going, you know, telling my daughter she should buy this stuff? You'll make her want to go and get pregnant and have a baby. And it turned out that based on her previous buying patterns, like they figured out that in the second trimester, women buy tend to buy things like unscented lotions because the smell of scented lotions makes them feel ill or something like that. <laughs> Uh, they, so they figured out, based on her previous buying patterns, that she was pregnant before her dad knew, and maybe before even she knew. Oh, wow. Yeah. But they, they use that as a learning curve, because now they do a similar thing, but of course no one likes to be told, oh, you're pregnant, we know about it before you do. <laughs> Apparently they mix it in with a lot of other information, so what they'll do is they'll send out a brochure, which will advertise like TVs, football, uh, clothes, and I just slip the the pregnancy stuff in there, you know, because they they know you'll you'll find that interesting, but they don't same, want to make it the focus. Yeah, yeah. they don't want to make they don't want to let you know that they know really. I th- I'm going to tangen- tangentially tie that into Internet of Things by saying that whatever it was that she bought her products on, maybe it's a self service thing. Evidently, that somehow through a loyalty card, was able to track her purchases to her. Yeah, uh, and so. this is this is where a lot of this thing ends up, isn't it? Because it's about data collection. Ooh. And yeah. kind of you, you might get excited about, say, your, I don't know, your thermostat or your fridge or whatever it is that's internet-enabled. Um, but then what what information are you actually passing back to the company that owns it? So, like, if you're... So your fridge is sat there monitoring how many eggs you've got. Yeah. Is it also telling the fridge company that, you know, the average family buys X number of boxes of eggs every month? And are they selling that information onto other people? Or are they saying that, you know, people who buy these products are likely to buy these other products? Yeah. So that you can be advertised at. Yeah. This guy keeps going to the fridge to get food at 3 a.m. Is he an insomniac? Maybe he'd like these pills. That kind of thing. <laughs> I guess there's a, there's a big opportunity to upsell as well, isn't there? So if they see, for example, one family buys a particular brand, would they start to advertise the slightly more expensive brand? Or, you know, that kind of thing that, that could easily add kind of quite a good margin for the supermarket and wouldn't be that great for the uh, for the family. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, could do. So taking this into the future, how can the Internet of Things be expanded in scope? What could it do going forward, apart from tweeting our shopping list at, at the supermarkets? <laughs> so anyone, uh, anyone got any thoughts? Yeah, so we've got... I think there's a bunch of... 
as, as we said the, at the top of the show. And mm. um, there's a bunch of kind of things that are on the internet for just kind of fun reasons, but not really proper serious reasons. Yeah. Um, and it'd be interesting to see where that ends up, whether those, I think they'll always be like, as, as technology gets cheaper and more people know how to do it, there'll always be like the fun little jokey item that can do stuff when you tell it to do stuff over your phone and things like that. Um, it'll be interesting to see how much those stay around and and whether they are just like the odd item or whether they do turn into things that everybody owns. I think the more interesting things are, I guess, probably the more important items. So if you're talking about cars, for instance, I can see a future where pretty much every car is internet enabled because it lets you do various things and it also... I mean, let's like, to pull another example of how these things can happen. There's, um, I remember reading a story about a woman who had, um, basically got pulled over by the police because she had run into the back of somebody um, oh, right. on her way from leaving the scene of running into the back of somebody else. And the reason the police knew that was not because of any witnesses or anything. It was because the car called them. Because built into the car was the ability to basically phone the police and register an accident. I don't know if it's phone, but contact the police, register an accident um, when it you know, knows that a crash has happened and then nothing's been done about it. So, yeah, I can, I can see a, a case where you got all these... Know, quite important items another another example i guess is um was reading about um a woman with a pacemaker who was kind of interested looking at the security side of things with the pacemaker oh, but yeah. yeah her her pacemaker can accept like updates and things over like a short range wi-fi essentially that like such a bad idea <laughs> well so the so the idea with that is if you're if you've got a pacemaker and it needs adjusting then instead of having to go into surgery and open it up and change it and and then you know put you under general anesthetic and all of that all you do is you go into the hospital and they stick a short range wi-fi device next to you and then they send the change to your pacemaker and then you walk out and you can see the example, you can see how that is so much more helpful and useful and less disruptive and so on. But you can also, when you start talking about a device that keeps my heart beating, you can see where it starts to get a little bit worrying. Mm. And you're not really sure that you want those kind of things on the internet. Yeah, going back to the Nest thermostat as an analogy now. I think I'd rather set my timer off, you know, do it when I get there rather than come and find my house burnt down one day and the battery dead on my nest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The other two areas that I've looked into, the Internet of Things, is uh, sort of um, rescue and defence. So, uh, now let me find it somewhere... There was uh, an example just within the past couple of days in the Antarctic where they've set up wireless networks uh, for expeditions that are going out. So it's a 40-kilometre, I think, range that allows them to keep track of 
people who are out on ex dangerous expeditions, things mm -hmm. that they might need recovering from. And the other one is the Army, so the, uh, the United States Army Training and Doctrine Command, which is a great name. <laughs> um, they, they're looking at it um, coupled with sort of wearable sensors so that they, not just to be able to tell where troops are, say, but to understand needs and to have a knowledge of what they're doing. Um, which, uh, you know, on one hand is good, but they, they themselves, they, they acknowledge in, in this quote, they say, ambiguity is a kind of lubricant in personal relationships, which I think is absolutely true. So you can, you can have sort of the Orwellian, you know, my toaster is watching me, everything's, everything's got an IP address, there's no escaping the system. Mm. And then at the same time, I don't know if the government would see this way, but an element of trust, you know, is kind of necessary for things to, you know, for it to be seen as a positive. Mm. Yeah. So I guess, like, if you're talking, talking about relationships, then it's like, if you know everything about somebody already, then, mm. you know, there's, there's no conversation there. So, yeah, I, I see your point with that. Yeah, it's like, um, uh, Beck, uh, my, my wife's uh, sister recently found on her iPhone, which I don't actually know about this, you, you know, you've got location services. Well, it'll give you a list of the most frequently visited locations, and it'll tell you how many times you've been there. And her sister is saying, you know, oh, this could be a relationship under this, you know, if you got hold of this and it, you know, says something completely different about someone that you think you you knew and understood. And so, yeah, it could, you know, I think there is a thing as too much information. I mean, blatantly there is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I use Find My iPhone every now and then because me and my wife use the same iPhone account. So you can use the Find My iPhone feature that tells you where the phones are at any given time, which is useful if I'm trying to cook dinner and I don't want to put the food in too early. Right. So it's going to be like, has the wife left work yet? Not yet. I'll wait. So, so what, what you need in that case is a uh, internet-enabled cooker that will turn on oh, when yes. she leaves. <laughs> That or just turn the nest up high enough that it cooks everything in the fridge <laughs> before the battery goes. <laughs> I was reading a little bit about um, about smart cities, um, which sounds a, a bit like a buzzword, which I guess it is at the moment. But the idea of the kind of larger infrastructures being part of the Internet of Things. So you've got like uh, like lights. So, that, so there's some cities with the street lights, they're connected to say what the, what's happening in the weather. Mm. So that if it's raining, then it'll adjust so that there's a better lighting on the ground. If it's particularly bright outside, then they'll dim. And that kind of thing, which saves quite a lot of energy, which I thought was, was pretty interesting. Yeah, that's what you call like an internet of sensors as well, mm. which uh, is better than internet of things anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just these beacon sensors, things picking up inf information about the environment and smart cars maybe tracking the way people go to work so you can figure out how congested some roads are, which you already get in things like Google Maps. You know, yeah. it gives you a red road when it's going to be busy at that time. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure up until now how it's tracked that, actually. How does Google Maps know that this road is going to be rammed at half five on a yeah. Thursday? It's a good question. No idea. Traffic cameras? I'm guessing. I mean, it could just highways. be geolocation on iPhones. Things I like think that. highways agencies and things will know that the traffic volume on particular roads so mm. it's probably hooking into similar databases i don't know yeah i don't know okay okay so the last one of the the, the meatiest uh thing i wanted to look at was these emerging security issues and 
problems surrounding an Internet of Things. It's got plenty of plenty of good points, but as you mentioned, David, when, if if it gets to the point where everything's just you know, everyone's bringing Internet of Things products to the market. Kind of like how everyone suddenly brought hoverboards, hoverboards in quotes, to the market. You have a situation where a large amount of them aren't passing basic certification and they're blowing up or whatever. Setting fire. Setting yeah. fire, yeah. Um, is there some sort of standardization needed? Yeah, this is this is the thing. Because, yeah, any old company can just put a a wireless card in in something and and make it wireless enabled but do those companies actually follow security there was um in 2014 HP uh, did a study on the most popular i think they got a collection of the most popular internet of things devices and they found that 7 out of 10 of them had had were vulnerable to some form of security attack and uh, they said there was an average of 25 problems per vulnerable device. So that gives you some idea of where we were you know, a year or so ago. Um, I doubt very much that it's getting much better. <laughs> no, it's probably getting worse. It was Poodle around then, the Poodle bug. Yeah. <laughs> Occasionally you get your sort of... Uh, you know, the, the cool kids on the block when it comes to internet vulnerability, like the Heartbleed bug and the Poodle. Heartbleed, poodle I think, started it, and there's been a real trend for... The only the only uh, vulnerabilities that the general public pay any attention to are the ones with names. Yeah, <laughs> much like natural disasters, I suppose. I can't even name a tornado, <laughs> yeah. that kind of thing. So what's the Poodle bug? Uh, uh, that was a while back. Uh, um it was a vulnerability in HTTP, and I can't really remember much no. beyond that. No. J- Jason would know. Okay. Yeah. Ask Jason. I'll ask Jason. Jason will have a good idea about it. Yeah. So one thing that I found was a search engine called Shodan, um, which I think is a reference to a video game. That, yeah, that'll be a System Shock reference. Yeah, which was a game about um, it's on a spaceship about a an artificial intelligence called Shodan there. Became self-aware and basically tried to kill everyone on the spaceship. The, you know the standard AI behavior in uh, those pretty, kind of games. Pretty, pretty much, yeah. And uh, it's a search engine for the Internet of Things, so you can go on there. And I guess it's just constantly scanning the internet, checking public IP addresses on on common ports, looking for whatever. And it finds it finds brands, it finds categories. So it'll tell you, oh, there's a webcam in Taiwan here. Why don't you go and have a look? Yeah. And it'll just take you to the login page. It won't tell you what the login details are. But a lot of the time, a scary amount of the time, you know, people don't consider this stuff when they're setting these devices up. So you'll probably find a lot of them are on the default admin credentials. And yeah, the next thing you know, you're looking at a baby monitor of someone halfway across the world. Yes. Yeah. There was, a, I don't think it was the same search engine, um, but there was a web page that basically was doing a similar thing for specifically for webcams. So it was just it was searching the internet and finding webcams that had been set up that were accessible over the internet and were using the default login details, and then it was just providing a big old list and you just click on them, and like and basically go and look at it. A lot of the time it was things like baby monitors, and so you can go and look at somebody's kid, mm. and that's really kind of worrying stuff. Yeah. The fact that these devices, I mean. 
really if you're if you're setting something up like that you should go in and change the default passwords that should be one of the first things you do when you're setting something up like that but it's it, that doesn't really take the the blame completely away from the manufacturers that don't make you do that no i mean the way these things are pitched you know they're pitched to the mass market and people might ha have a hard enough time setting it up let alone knowing how to get into it and change a password mm -hmm. say so yeah i think i think the companies have to be held accountable yeah, because I mean, it only takes, uh, you know, as I read on one article, it only takes one weak, sec weakly secured smart bulb, say, and then someone could intercept an admin password and then your whole house could be compromised. Yeah, so I've, I mean, I've got a, it's, it's a slightly complicated thing, but I've got a proof of concept for the eye kettle, which I keep, oh. I keep mentioning the eye kettle. Um, I know what to get you for your birthday. <laughs> yeah, no, don't, because... <laughs> Here's why. Yeah, so um, this was a security researcher basically found that... So if you if you go find somebody who's got an eye kettle and you sit outside their house and you see, oh, their wireless is called this. So then you, using your laptop, make your own wireless called the same thing, but an open wireless, no password on it then use something like a directional antenna to make your wireless signal stronger. You force the kettle to drop off its own network and connect to yours. And now you're talking to the kettle, you can then telnet into the kettle, which is basically just <laughs> a way of accessing the, accessing the kettle. Um, and then it is protected by a six digit pin code, which obviously you can brute force very quickly on a computer. Unless you set it up with an Android device, in which case it's six zeros. Oh, um, <laughs> and once you do that, you get the kettle to dump out its settings, and in those settings, in plain text, it will give you the password for the wireless network it was originally connected to. So then you can jump onto the home wireless. Oh, that's good. And that's all, I mean, that that is kind of a little bit far-fetched in that you would have to like be driving around know that somebody's got an eye kettle have a directional antenna things mm. like that but it is it's a proof of concept that these things can leak information that i mean it's not just about taking over somebody's kettle and making it boil water when they don't want it to it's about leaking the wireless password and then you're now on the wireless and you can get to other things that aren't locked down and protected yeah and then before you know it, it's poltergeist house and the fridge is opening and closing. <laughs> Toaster's making toast you don't even want to eat. <laughs> Buying you hundreds of eggs. <laughs> yeah. like, oh no, it's the slightly more expensive eggs. I can't afford this. I did also hear about, um, apparently there was a spate of smart fridges sending out spam as, as in the email. Oh, no, as in the email. <laughs> thanks for clarifying. Yeah. Um. <laughs> wow. Well, actually, I've got to say, Internet of Things, considering how wide in scope it is and everything, past what I already know, I didn't learn a lot more about it, to be honest, apart from that there are a lot of vulnerabilities in it. Yeah. I think it's still waiting for that next big idea that's going to tie the whole mm. thing together, really. I think we're, we're moving into... We talked a lot about things like cars... Um, I think cars are going to be one of the big areas where technology and this interconnectedness and data and so on is going to um, 
really take off. I think we're moving into that area, but we're not there yet with with things like the home. When we were talking about CES last week, um, the amount of things that I saw that are on the internet is, is pretty much everything that's being shown at CES has some kind of connectivity to the internet. Um, I think we're just waiting to see which of those things stick yeah, and which well. don't. Yeah, I think so. And I think you need the infrastructure there as well. You need the wireless networks. You need, you know, the, the speeds to be able to convey all this information constantly. So no bandwidth caps, things like that. It'll take a few years, but it's very exciting. Yeah. So. You just hope that uh, the companies that are making these things catch up on the security before they actually, <laughs> you know, become so widespread. Mm. Mm. I wonder if we'll see like uh, maybe a return to wired networks in some form or, you know, sort of like VPN tunnels or like a wireless, I don't know, some new standardized protocol or something like that. But the thing, I mean, the thing that I was thinking of as well, when you're talking about, say, filling all of your house with things that are on the wireless, that means you basically need wireless coverage throughout your house. I mean, we probably in the UK, most most people are okay, I guess, on that front. I mean, I've I've been having problems with my Chromecast, which yeah. I think is down to it having a not great wireless signal. Um, but I've heard stories of people in like high-rise apartment blocks in America and stuff where just the number of wireless signals around means that your own wireless signal is so drowned out and competing with all of the other ones that you just you don't get a decent signal anywhere let alone throughout the entirety of your home so are we going to get to a point where you just you can't have everything on there or that we we're just saturating the entire you know you've got a wireless booster in every room or something Mm, and then we find that wireless is bad for you and you're oh man (laughs) right okay well that Wraps it up for me, I think. John, anything else? Any parting thoughts? Um, I was actually thinking about... Um, I, have a, I have a couple of friends, actually, who don't have smartphones. They mm. have, like, a Nokia 3310 or whatever, kind of yeah, retro yeah. phones, because they don't want to be connected all the time. And I wonder if, as, um, as the Internet of Things grows, I wonder if slowly that choice is going to be taken away from us so if if actually you want to stay disconnected you know will you be able to at some point will we be able to have a kettle that's not connected to you know something else in our house and that kind of thing um i just thought that was kind of interesting whether that whether it kind of poses a threat to our to our freedom than what you guys think about that yeah and just the thought i'm I'm gonna say i'm gonna go out and just throw throw this out i don't know if it's true (laughs) I'm going to say there's probably more Wi-Fi coverage in the world than there is cellular. Now, does that mean that everything moves to Wi-Fi calling, which I know is quite a new concept, but it's definitely catching on. You know, eventually you're going to have to register against a Wi-Fi network, have all this metadata flying out of your device to make basic calls. Mm. Yeah. I wonder if um, it would lead to some kind of backlash then. I mean, Mm. if you're saying you've got friends who refuse to have smartphones, then... Are we going to see a bunch of people who will just like, no, I am not having wireless in my house. Yeah. I am not connecting any devices to anything. <laughs> I'll have to get their like ovens on the black market and stuff. I haven't got any sort of wireless technology in them. Yeah. <laughs> I've got some tinfoil hats I can sell. <laughs> on. Yeah. 
Right. Okay. Well, I think that's everything, which means it's time for our weekly rundown of all of our different social media accounts. You, you better make sure that you get them right this time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So a reminder, you can reach us uh, on Twitter at Unraveling Tech. Um, we've got our blog, unraveling.technology, our YouTube channel, which is Unraveling Technology, all one word. Feel free to send us an email if you'd like to discuss, uh, if you've got any thoughts on what we've discussed today or any other week. That's a podcast at unravelingtechnology.co.uk. And please find us and rate us on iTunes. That would be, be really kind of you. So from me, Joe Tonks, David Johnson, and our guest, Mr. John Guest, thank you very much and goodbye. Bye. Goodbye.